Turn your Bibles, if you will, to me to St. John chapter 4. I love this chapter. And for you that have been attending for some years, you, you, you know I like this chapter. Uh, it is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I don't, by preaching, of course I taught on this last week. And I don't want to, to be redundant, and we won't. But I find in here so much that, that I need to know of and, and need to know about. I do have an outline of the sermon. If you don't have one, please raise your hand and Brother Steve will make sure you get an outline. So if you do not have an outline, make sure. Because I want you to, you, you remember so much more of what you read than what you hear. So last Sunday, uh, as we shared on this particular chapter and, and the subject of uh, getting the eyes of the disciples open to where they could see spiritual things uh, as well as as natural or or carnal things. Uh, I challenged us all to take time this week between last Sunday and today and to witness to at least three people. Challenge them about their relationship with God, if possible. If that door opened and you and I... We, we know today that the, the, the door needs to be opened and we need to walk in it when he opens that door. So we ask you, if you would, and, and we're going to do the same thing this, uh, being we're on this particular subject, we're going to ask you to do the same thing this week that uh, we did last week. Uh, I went through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and it seemed like that door did not open. And then yesterday I had the opportunity to witness to Larry and uh, Larry is from Lumberton. He's, uh, he and his wife are just so precious. And, uh, but Larry's not saved, or he was not. But I left him crying, and I got a chance to witness to his wife. And she's a believer, spirit-filled believer. And I'm just believing the Lord that today he went to church and, and got saved. Now, we know we can receive Christ without going to church, but it's just a good place to go, and it's a good place to receive Christ and accept the Lord. So this week, let's plan on at least three people that we're going to speak to. And, you know, God will open the door if you continue to pray. He will open the door if you continue to pray. And we'll get an opportunity and a privileged opportunity to witness to someone about Jesus and see them accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, I, uh, I hope you brought your Bibles. If you did not, Jonathan will put it on the screen. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. And I want you to follow along with me, if you will, as we begin in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. This is an interesting little side note. It's, it's, as I read this, I wondered about that and what was happening. The Pharisees, were, they were counting the people that Jesus baptized and the people that John baptized. Now, Jesus didn't baptize anyone, but his disciples did. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, which were the religious leaders of that day, they were keeping score, and they would post a score. 
Jesus baptized this many. John baptized this many. And they tried to make it a rival between Jesus and John about how many got baptized. How many did you have in Sunday school? How many did you have in church? How many attended your church today? And, and there is this rivalry going on today between churches, between, you know, how many times did you pray? It's, it's not about the natural thing. It's not how many we had in church. It's not that we have more people than that other church had. It's not, it's not those things, but the religion, that's religion. And, and Jesus is more than just, it's more than just religiosity. It's a relationship. And that's what's important. But here they were looking at who baptized more so there would, there would be this rivalry, so this competition that goes on. How many of you know we're not competing with Mount Bethel down the street? We're not. We're not competing with Jeff and, and Rosa Sharon Baptist or whoever it might be. Our, our responsibility is to pray for Jeff and that church. Our responsibility is to pray for our brothers and sisters. And I pray God send revival. I don't care where it starts. It can start in the Catholic Church. Don't matter to me. But I want revival to, 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 to be in Durham. And I trust that as you pray for your family and pray for the pastor and pray for the membership of this church and the attenders of this church and pray for this church, that you pray for other churches. It is important that we support love and uh, and bless other churches. I'm glad that we're not the only ones going, folks. Some people believe that. They believe that their church, their denomination, that they're the only ones going to heaven. But I like what one woman, woman said years ago when I was in Butler here. She said, I believe there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that you, when you get there that you thought won't going to be there. And probably there'll be a lot of people that's not there that you thought were going to be there too. But this is what was happening as we read, read these first two verses. Look at verse 3. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Oh, boy. It's, that's a whole, whole lot of happenings between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. They were enemies. They did not like each other. And for Jesus to decide, you see, the Jews would go way around Samaria. They wouldn't even go through Samaria. There was so much hatred and the, and the division until they wouldn't even go through there. Of course, I'm glad we don't have that kind of division and, and, oh, in, in, the, in the nation today. God help us. That's one of the great things about Tuesday morning. As most of you know, we've been meeting every Tuesday morning for the last, well, come first of the year, 17 years. And churches, pastors, ministers, parachurch ministers, all coming together. Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, Pentecostals, Charismatics. You know, it, we're coming together as one. And I thank God for that. Doesn't matter, blacks, whites, Hispanics. We all come together, and there's a, a tremendous unity. And there are about 40 ministers that meet together. Now, not all of them meet every Tuesday, but about 20 each Tuesday morning meet. And praise God, we, 
we, we form it, we get in the circle, and we pray for one hour for this city and for what I believe God is going to do for Durham, North Carolina. You know, many years ago, there was a prophecy that went forth from Seoul, Korea, that there was going to, a revival was going to break out in, in, North, in, in America. And that prophecy said it was going to start in a city called Durham, North Carolina. That happened. And I, I, believe, it's, I believe it's going to happen. But it will happen if we, if we work together, pray together, love together as, as, as people of the body of Christ. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being weird from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That means it was about 12 o'clock noon. So it was a hot, hot day probably. And we know it was about noonday. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? A Samaritan woman. So there were two things here that would keep him from talking to this woman. First of all, he was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. Second of all, she was a woman. And rabbis, it was strictly forbidden that rabbis talk to women in public. In fact, a rabbi could not talk not only to women, he could not talk to his wife. He could not talk to his daughter. They were forbidden to talk to women in public. And so she was just taken back. She was amazed that this Jew was talking to a Samaritan, that this man, this minister, was talking to a woman. And she asked him that question. Now, I want you to notice, as you follow this, notice the questions. Notice the conversation back and forth. Jesus, I believe, he spoke about 200 in this particular text, about 205 words to this woman. And she spoke back to him. But he asked her questions. And he gradually went from the natural to the spiritual. I mean, you're talking about Jesus not only was a great teacher, he was a great soul winner. He knew how to win souls. And he went where no other Jew would go. He did what no other Jew would do. And that was he began a conversation with this woman. Are you greater than our father Jacob, verse 12, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Notice verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Now he's talking about the natural water. He opens the door. He, he makes the contact. One of the hardest doors to, 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 to go through when you go witness for Jesus is your own door. Get out of the house. 
Go across the street. Go downtown. Go make contact with the unbeliever. They're not going to come to church. By and far, unbelievers will not go to church now. And we've got to go out there where they are. Where we work with them. We shop with them. We do a lot of other things and we were able to get out. And so that's what he did. He said, would you give me a drink of water? And then he went from there and he said, listen, if you drink this water, you're going to thirst again. How many of you know that the world is trying to be satisfied on the natural drink and it will never, ever satisfy? That's what he's telling her. Whoever drinks of this water shall, uh, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Notice 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. That's a wow. Oh, never. How is that possible? How is that possible? She's thinking carnal will never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain, a spring of water, springing up into everlasting life. How many of you have had that? Have you had it? Do you know it for a fact? I don't want nothing else. And every one of us, the devil's always offering you something and saying, if you'll do this, you'll be satisfied. If you go here, you'll be satisfied. If you drink this, you'll be satisfied. If you look at this, you'll be satisfied. Nothing the devil has will satisfy you, but a drink from heaven will satisfy you. So how do you know? I've experienced it. It works. I know my wife can cook a good meal because I've experienced it. And I know that Jesus gives satisfying, everlasting satisfying water. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now he's talking about spiritual things and she's thinking about carnal things. She said, boy, it would be nice if I didn't have to come down with this great jug on my head, get water from this well, and take it back to the house and tr- so I can have water to drink and wash my clothes and wash my dishes and things. Would you please, and that's what people, they want to come to church, and they're wanting the church to provide for, for them natural things. I want the lights just right. I want the music just right. I want everything to be just right. Then I'll be satisfied. Uh Uh-uh. You can have all kind of music. You can have all kind of preaching. You can have the most beautiful building in the world. But I'm telling you, it will not satisfy unless Jesus Christ touches your life. And people go to church every Sunday morning. They go dead and they leave dead. Because they have not tasted of the living, living water. But she's thinking carnal. And a lot of church people think carnal. Music's too loud. Music's too soft. It's too hot. It's too cold. I'm sleepy. I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning. I've been awake all morning. Now I'm getting tired. I'm ready to go home and get in my favorite. I mean, just all kind of carnal stuff. Game so-and-so comes home this afternoon. Everything the devil can, can, can carry across our plate, we're thinking. She said, I don't want to come here and draw water anymore. 
But Jesus didn't stop there. He kept digging. He kept working. He kept talking. Notice what it says. This woman said to her, Sir, give me this water that I may now not thirst and come here to draw. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Now, now he's getting right to where the problem is. You see, a sinner will never be saved until they recognize their sin. We can talk all around it, but until we face reality. And let me tell you, this is where most people will not go. The preacher can talk the flowery things and he can preach a message and we'll go to church and we'll hear the choir sing and we'll give our offerings, but don't you dare try to get where I'm at. Don't you get to that secret part of my life. Don't go there. But Jesus said in his heart, I'm sure, if I'm going to do her any good, I've got to go where she's at. And that's what the Spirit of God does. Formality, rituals, religion, it won't get where we are. But the Bible says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts right into the very heart, right where we are. And that's what he said. He said, you go get, go, go get your husband. She, he said, I, she said, I don't have a husband. Let's read it. Let's read it. The woman said to him, sir, uh, let me get it. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you well, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Now, somebody said she was a prostitute. Nowhere does it say she was a prostitute. She had been married five times and each because it was easy to get a divorce, write a divorce off it during that time. And each five husbands just wrote her divorce and put her aside. She'd been put aside and put aside and hurt, put aside. Doesn't matter whether what the reason was, she had gone through a lot of pain. Whether you lose a husband or a wife through divorce or death, that is painful. And she'd gone through it five times. Five times. I had a man over my house last night, and he was telling me that his friend had had six wives. That's, that's, that's a lot of wives. And I, but listen to me. I don't, I don't care if it's seven or eight, and I'm not making fun. Because there's a lot of people experienced a lot of pain. And I would never make fun. My wife and I have been happily married for 50 years. But I would never look down at anyone that's ever gone through the pain of a divorce. I would never do that. And I'm no better than you are. Because Jesus Christ makes makes us all one in, in him. He forgives all doesn't matter what we faced. And he loved this woman. He could have wrote her off. He could have said, this woman, she's no good. She's not even getting what I'm saying. She's been married five times, and she, the man that she's living with now is not even her husband. Notice what he says back to her. He said, you, you said right. 
You said right. The woman said to him, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Now she turns, she tries to throw him off. See, he, he, he shot that arrow right where she was. He opened her up. He opened up her past. He opened up her hurts and her pains. He revealed to her she needed something more than what she had. And then all of a sudden, she goes on a different subject. You know, you see these mountains? Let me talk to you about worship. But Jesus went right along. He knew exactly what to say, when to say it. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Let me tell you, he's saying it doesn't matter where you worship. You can worship at Bethel or you can worship out under a tree. You can worship in your automobile. You can worship at the factory. You can worship at home down beside of the bed. You can worship here. You can worship there. The main important thing is that you know the one you're worshiping. And he said, listen, salvation is of the Jews. You know why he said that? Because he was speaking of none other than the Messiah coming through Jesus, coming through the Jewish nation. That's what he was saying. He was saying, in fact, he took this time and he used this Samaritan woman to announce his Messiahship. I think that is so wonderful that he did that in this text. He's talking about worship. But the hour is coming in now, and he goes on. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Say spirit, spirit. and truth. And if you leave the other one out, the other one is not complete. There's a lot of people worshiping spirit, some kind of spirit, but without the truth. And then there's a lot of people worshiping truth, but without the spirit. You need both of them. And that's the reason he said spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Now this, this statement here, all things, it's, it's mentioned three times in this text. Now I don't know where this Samaritan woman heard about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I don't know, but she knew about it. She said, I know when this man, the Messiah, comes, He's going to tell us. He's going to reveal us to us. He's going to let us. He's going to tell us the whole story. How many of you know we need the whole story, not part and partial? We need the whole story. He's going to tell us all things. People will tell you part things. They'll tell you half truths. They'll, they'll, but they will not tell you the whole truth if you're not careful. But the Bible says that Jesus tells the whole story, and what we need to know is the whole story. We don't need to know. This and cut it off and say we're not going to believe in the other. That's the reason we're called the, our, our, we're not a denomination, but our church, we belong to the full gospel fellowship of churches and ministers international. Full gospel. You see, there are some people that says you can have salvation, but you can't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's just not biblical. 
Amen? Amen? There is an anointing of the Lord. There is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that that the early church, when you read in Acts, that the, the early church had, you and I can have. Here, 2014, at 3518 Rose of Sharon Road. We can have it right here, right now. That's the whole story. Well, I mean, there's other parts of it, but we don't need to stop and just say, you get saved and you can go on down the road. and Praise God, you serve God. But I want the whole story. I want, I want the whole thing. I want to be able to say, hey, I've, re- I've received Christ, and there's joy in receiving Christ. I want to know that I have salvation and that heaven is ready for me. But I want to know how to live a holy and righteous life in this world. I want to know how to have the power of God in my life. I want to know how to have the anointing. So when I walk out and witness to somebody, the Holy Ghost sort of nudges them and gets a hold of them. I want to know when the devil comes against me, I'm able to stand because I have the power of God in my life. You see, that's what the church needs today. It needs that today. I told you this story, and I'm going to tell it again. I, I was at J.B. Ellis's funeral the other day and, uh, at Fellowship Baptist Church. And, uh, there were quite a few, because he was a, a real respected pastor, there were a lot of pastors at this gathering. And so I was sitting in the pew, and the uh, gentleman sitting behind me was a young man. And uh, I turned around and started talking to him, and he was a pastor from Raleigh. And he told me a little bit about himself. And then I told him, I've been pastoring for 45 years, the same church. Well, he just, when you tell that, people, first of all, preachers have a hard time understanding how you pastor 45 years in the same church. And he said, tell me something. How has, how has things changed since you started pastoring 45 years ago? Well, I could tell him, I could write a book on that. But one of the things, and the thing that I told him was this. When I first started pastoring, you didn't have to break the Scripture down or break your conversation down or or expand on your conversation like you do today. But you talk about being saved. Now, most of you would know what I'm talking about. If you talk about being born again, you would know what I'm talking about. But most people, they don't know that. They don't even know who God is. They don't even believe in God. They may believe in God, but they don't know if God is Mohammed or Buddha. They don't know who God is. And we have to know that. Jesus understood his culture. The early church, they understood their culture. They understood what most people believed. In fact, when Paul went to Mars Hill and started talking to those people, he didn't talk about Jehovah God. He said, first of all, I understand that you folks are very superstitious. I understand you're religious. And he talked about what the Athens or those at at Athens believed and did. He first started talking about that. He understood their culture in order to get to them about Jehovah. He meticulously went there. And I believe today as we witness for the Lord that you and I have got to know the culture we're witnessing in. We've got to know our congregation. 
Jesus, he had to know the congregation. Paul had to know the congregation. Peter had to, they had to know the culture. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges to the church today to witness for the Lord is to know who you're talking to, what they believe, what they don't believe. And you can throw out cliches all day to most people now, and they're not going to accept that. You and I believe it from the top of our head to the soles of our feet, but they don't believe it at all. And so we've got to know. And that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about uh, in the year of 2015. And Sister Carol, I believe she started on it, uh, she had it this morning, talking about that. And, and we didn't, you know, we, we didn't plan this to come together on that. But Jesus knew where he was. He knew where he was in Samaria. Paul knew where he was and the people he was talking to, whether it was King Agrippa, and the King Agrippa said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. We've got to know. And you use different methods. And I, I, I must say that a lot that goes on today with the seeker-friendly and the seeker-sensitive church today is, is motivated by those preachers and that church and that congregation knowing or trying to know who they're ministering to. And I think that's important. But one of the things that concerns me is that we're leaving out part of the story. And part of the story is that you can have the knowledge You can have all the attractive things that draw people to a church. But the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. And folks, you can have all kinds of things to bring people to church, but you better have the power to change that life. For it is the power of God where? Unto salvation. And, and we've got to have that. We need to tell them the whole story. We need to let them know. Yes, we need to know who we're preaching to and talking to and witnessing to. We need to know that. We need to be sensitive to what people are thinking today. And we can bring them right on up to the very place for them to drink. But if we don't have the anointing of God... If we don't have the Spirit of God, if God is not directing us and leading us and we're not following the Spirit of the Lord, those people are going to go away empty. They're not going to receive. I'll tell you, flashing lights from is not going to change anyone. Great music and great singing is not going to change anyone. Big churches is not going to change anyone. Small either. It's going to take the power of God to change life today. I'm not ashamed. Let me read that. Can I I turn there? Can you go there, Jonathan? Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for every one who does what? Believes. For the Jew first, And also for the Greek, 
Now, the reason he said that, because salvation came through the Jewish nation. It's not that Jesus loves the Jews any more than he does the Greeks. Although I do believe the Jewish nation is a special people unto the Lord. But he said to the Jews first and to the Greeks. Now look at verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now I want to read that to you with the Amplified. Listen to this. I believe Jonathan has it, the Amplified. I want to read those two verses with the Amplified. Read it with me. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, for it is God's power working unto salvation for deliverance from eternal death. So I want to say hallelujah. Ha! He's delivered us. You've been delivered right now. You say, I'm going to be. No, you're already delivered from eternal death. Oh, that's, you can rejoice with that. To everyone who believes with a personal trust and a confident surrender and a firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now look at this 17th verse. For in the gospel, a righteousness which God describes is revealed. So that's the reason that we need to have the Spirit of God to reveal the righteousness of God. Because the devil will always be on your case about how evil you are, evil you are, how unworthy you are to receive from God. Yes, we are. But I want you to know, devil, I've been made righteous through the very atonement of Jesus Christ. I am righteous through his righteousness. I used to dance real hard, but I, but that's about it right now. I'm telling you, folks, we need the Spirit of God, the whole story. We need the anointing of God to reveal the righteousness of God that you and I can grasp that and say, Hallelujah! I'm unworthy. Oh, wretched man that I am. But Jesus one day reached way down and picked me up and planted in me a righteousness that is holy and pure. Hallelujah. He put that in me. And without the Spirit of God, and without the Word of God, I can't change. And we can go through all kind of programs we want to. We can, we, can, we can explain it any way. We can know the culture. And I know that's important. We can know the people. We can, we can know the words to say. And we can bring them right to the altar. And it doesn't have to be the altar of the church. But we can bring them right to the point where they need to know Christ. But if He don't reach down through the Spirit of God... And transform that life. Make him or her new. If he don't do that, they'll walk out the door the same way they came. But we need that. Notice it. Let me finish this 17th verse. For in the gospel a righteousness which God ascribes is revealed both springing from faith and leading to faith. Grasp that. Get a hold of that. It leads from faith. In other words, the only way that we can know Christ is through faith. 
We've got to totally rely on faith. It's not merit. It's, it's simply by His grace and faith. Romans, Romans tells us it's by the faith that we believe in Him. But then that leads to faith. The problem with the church today is that we believe God, but we, fail, we stop there and we don't continue on to more faith, to greater faith, to stronger faith. The church is weak today because we've not grown with what God wants us to grow with. And our faith is weak. Oh, well, we got it. Sometimes I think we need to realize God is tired maybe of burping us all the time. We need to grow up. We need to be men and women, soldiers, strong unto the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the Lord say, grow from faith to faith. Yes, start out in faith. But don't keep just that faith right there. Build on it. Build on it. And let God do some wonderful things. i got to finish this verse. You know, here we reveal both springing from faith and leading to faith. Disclose through the way of faith that arouses more faith. How many of you want more? Say more faith. More faith. I want more faith. Some people get saved and that's where they sit. They get stuck. They don't grow. They don't become involved in the church. See, this is what wards off all that other stuff. This is where we become mature in Jesus Christ. That's when we grow. And that's what God wants for the church, not, not just for the pastor. He wants it for every believer. Every believer should be winning someone to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what would happen in this church in three months if every one of us went out under the Spirit and the power of God and witnessed to people that we come in contact with and we had the compassion that Jesus had. He looked on the multitude and the Bible said he had compassion. And we need that same compassion. And that's what I'm praying. God, instill that into me. You know, I, I looked at Larry yesterday. <clears throat> oh, senior citizens went off yesterday. I'll tell you, senior citizens are wonderful people. I know the church is looking for young people to come in. Oh, we need that energy. I know that. But I'm going to tell you, senior citizens, they're the backbone of the church. They're, they're, listen, they're the backbone of the church. This is no reflection on the youth because they don't have money, but the senior citizens got money. They want to keep these lights burning. So I, say, I don't know about those folks. They didn't know. Let me tell you one thing. They keep you going. We, 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 we went off with the seniors, and we had the best time. We went to the... The, the uh, fruit cake, no, I'm not a fruit cake, but I went to the fruit cake factory. If you ever never been there, you ought to go. It's a great place to go. And boy, we had the best time. And I was so excited leaving that place because I got an opportunity. Tall, tall young man. He's about 40 years old. I looked up in Larry's face and tears began to swell in his eyes. I said, Larry... God's going to touch you. God, you, 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 you're going to receive Christ as your personal Savior. And his wife, she's a little short, petite thing. She looked, she said, 
She was giving it that. He's going he to get saved. He's going to get saved. You know, I wasn't looking at Larry like, hey, I've got a not a, another notch on my gun. I asked the church to witness, and now I've witnessed. Now I'm see how many of them. I didn't do that. I would never do that. I saw a soul that needed Jesus Christ. I saw a soul, unless he gets saved, he's going to go to hell. I saw a man that no doubt was a good family man, but he needed Christ. And I left there in faith believing that he was going to receive the Lord. Faith, the man who through faith is just and upright shall live and live by faith. Let me tell you, and I'm not finished, but I'm closing. I I, I haven't got, I still haven't finished that chapter. I'm trying. But there's power in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen at me. And I'm so concerned that the church, and when I say the church as a whole, and I'm not, I don't want to be negative about large churches because I think there's some good large churches and good preachers that's preaching, pastoring these large churches. Sometimes I fight jealousy. Now, I know you don't do that, but See, you won't fight jealousy in that area, but there's areas that you will fight jealousy. It may not be this way or that way, but but someone will get under your skin. But I don't think I'm jealous. I really don't. But I'm saying this. If, if, If as a church we can understand the culture, we can know this woman is a Samaritan, we can know what she needs, we know she's carnal. She's thinking about this, that, and the other. We can know the culture. We can provide all kind of activities where men and women and young people and children can come together. But there isn't power, and the power I'm talking about, there isn't power in programs. There's no power in buildings. There's no power in us other than what the Holy Spirit gives us. It can be the greatest orator in the world. But unless he has God's power, the gospel power, and there's power in the gospel. We say it again. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is power of God unto salvation. I can't give you this book. I can't give you whatever new convert should know book. Place it in your hand and give you power. But I'll tell you what to bring power is the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for every member 
every attender. God, I know that there's some rich, rich people here today. And I'm talking about in the spirit. They know you. They know what it is to serve you. God, this church is not only rich in heritage, but in history, but it's rich in the power that changes lives. Lord, our vision statement is transforming lives through Christ. And the only way they can be transformed is through your power. God, drugs will rule their lives unless they're transformed through your power. Immorality will rule their lives unless they can be acquainted with your power. But God, there is no power of Satan. There is no enemy. There is no demonic force that can in any way match your power. The gospel power. No matter where Jesus went, Lord, no matter where your son went, when he spoke, they were amazed at the authority that he spoke with. And Lord, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that he received that moved people. Yes, he was a great speaker. Yes, he, he knew how to reach the culture he was in. But, Lord, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. And, God, I pray that this church, that Bethel, would never get to the place where we think that we can do it on our own. God, I just pray over this church and pray for this church. I pray for every member, every attender. I pray for every person here this morning. And I ask God that you would open our eyes concerning the unsaved. I pray that the same compassion that Jesus had when he looked over the city of Jerusalem and wept. Lord, that compassion caused him to weep over the lost. That compassion drove him to isolated and desert places to get on his knees and pray. That same compassion drove him when men would criticize him, try to kill him, ridicule him. That same compassion drove him to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ, about their way of of salvation, to introduce, introduce them to eternal life. God, help this church to have that. God, I pray that we all would return to our first love. Do it today. Do it today. In Jesus' name.